Let's open with a word of prayer. Let's pray. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you. We ask, Lord, as we go to your word right now, that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. Uh, give us ears to hear. Give, give us attentive hearts, uh, ready to receive what you have for us. Lord, we want to know you better because to know you better is to love you more. We thank you for the word of God. It's living and breathing and sharper than a two-edged sword. Comfort us where we need to be comforted. Convict us where we need to be convicted. Rebuke us even if necessary, Lord. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. amen. So if you're here last week, we, were, we got through the first portion of 1 Timothy 6. If you're new to Calvary Chapel, we started in Matthew chapter 1 on Sunday mornings. We're in 1 Timothy. Encourage you to come out on Thursday nights. We'll be in 1 Kings chapter 5 this coming week. Uh, 1 Kings is an amazing book. We're enjoying the Old Testament as well. By the way, Jesus is on every page of the Old Testament. So to catch you up quickly, Paul is writing this letter to his son in the faith, Timothy, who's pastoring a church in Ephesus that Paul had visited on a missionary journey, had planted the church, and, and Timothy's taken over. And we know that throughout it, that Timothy was going through some difficult times and needed to be encouraged as a pastor. And one of the first things he tells him is, he's, is to stay. And a lot of times, you don't only tell someone to stay if they want to leave. And so he encouraged him to stay. And he said, you should make my father's house a house of prayer. And then he talked about the role of women in the church, how church should operate. And then he talked about the qualifications for what to, to be a leader in the fellowship. And as he's gone through, he's just giving some real practical things that apply not only to pastors, but all believers. Amen. And then as we got to chapter six, the first two things that are, I left them on the outline there that we covered last week. I tell the message, a glimpse of heaven, living every day in light of eternity, how eternal perspective changes every aspect of life. Guys, if we're looking from a heavenly perspective, it's going to change the way we view everything. Amen. We got an election coming. No matter who wins, God's on the throne. Amen. We need to remember to have an eternal perspective in spite of what happened. By the way, we should all vote and vote biblically. Can I get an amen to that? Please do. So last week we looked at the way we work. That our workplace is our mission field. That we're called to be a Christ-like example. We should be the best workers in the building. Can I get an amen to that? We should work in such a way that they want to know what's different about us. And we can point them to Jesus. Then we talked about how we handle God's word. Recognizing that God's word is the final court of authority. It's not our opinions. It's not our thoughts. It's not the culture. It's the word of God. Can I get an amen? And we live in a time right now where even pastors and churches are falling into the trap of listening more to the culture. Well, because the culture believes this, then the Bible must be wrong. Let me tell you right now, the Bible's never wrong and the culture almost always is. And so we need to stand by the word of God. Now we're going to pick up this week, looking at four points. Number one, where we find contentment. I think this is so key for all of us. I know it's been a good reminder for me as I've studied it. You know, godliness with contentment is great gain. We'll see that this morning. But you know why we're not content? Because we have a focus on things that are perishing instead of focusing on things that are eternal. Amen? We get discontented because we want the raise at work or we want a bigger house or we want uh, whatever it might be. More, we want more authority or more praise or whatever it is. And there's always something more, more money, more finances. And the reality is your flesh will never be satisfied. And if you think a bigger house will make you content, it never will. They asked J. Paul Getty, how much money did you have to have to be content? 
And it was it 1 million, 10 million, 50 million, 100 million? Was it a billion? What was the number? And his answer was a little bit more. And the reality is, we're, if we're not content in who we are in Christ, we'll always be looking for something else and we'll never find that contentment apart from surrendering our lives fully to him. Then we're going to see, secondly, the battles we fight. Do you know that there is a spiritual battle taking place? Amen. And as believers, and this is a debate amongst Christians sometimes, it shouldn't be, but I have Christians that will confront me and say, well, pastor, how dare you stay open? Don't you care about the health of your people? And of course I care about your health, but you know what I care about even more? Your eternity. And too often we're so concerned. And again, we tell our people that if you've got an existing precondition or something that you think may may cause a real real difficulty if you got COVID, stay home and watch on live stream. But here's the good news. Nobody's gotten COVID while being at this church. Now we've had people get it at work, but nobody's got it here. And there's churches with thousands of people and they're not getting it. And if they do, hey, you can't threaten me with heaven. Can I get an amen to that? So the reality is that there's battles that we need to fight and there's stands that we need to make. We're going to see that in this morning's text. You know what? Maturity is seen what you flee from and what you pursue. What do you run from and what do you run toward? And those are the things that will reflect in your spiritual maturity. Are you running toward the things of God and from the things of the world? Are you running toward the things of the world and running away from the things of God? We'll see that in verses 11 to 16. Thirdly, how we handle our finances. And again, if you're new to Calvary Chapel, we don't even pass an offering. And here's why. I never want anybody to tip God. You know what I mean? Can I get an amen? It's coming by. I'll look like a heathen. Let me throw something in there, right? Am I the only one that's ever had that happen to them? Amen? And there's this mentality. And the Bible says God loves a cheerful giver, something you purpose in your heart beforehand. And God doesn't need need your money, but he wants your heart. And where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Amen? We're going to see in this morning's text to be humble, to trust in the Lord, not your money. You use it for God's glory, not your comfort, and to minister to the needs of others. And then finally, how do we use the gifts God has given us? We've talked about this. If you're born again, you have spiritual gifts. I said this on Thursday. I encourage our people to go home. And as they lay in bed at night, you know, you close your day with prayer. I know I do. Most of us do. Many of us do. Say, Lord, what are the gifts you've given me and am I using them? I want to encourage you that I'm not, I, I, we don't instruct people to use their gifts so we can have more stuff happening at the church. We want you to use your gifts because we don't want you to miss out on what God has for you. Can I get an amen to that? See, when, when you're using the gifts God's given you, you're the one who grows. Nobody grows more for, through these messages than I do because I spend you know, 20 hours in it and you get it for an hour. Amen? I tell people all the time, God made me a pastor because he knew I needed to be in the Bible 40 hours a week. Amen? And so the reality is that when you use the gifts God's given you, you grow spiritually. We want to go from being a ministry to being ministers. Amen? It's okay to be a ministry. It's okay to have people minister to you. That's a good thing. But guys, that shouldn't be the only thing we are. We need to be ministers, not just a ministry. Amen? So let's pick up there in verse 6. Living every day in light of eternity. And we're going to begin by looking at how or where do we find contentment. Look at verse 6. Now godliness with contentment is great gain. The word godliness there in the Greek is reverence, respect, and piety toward God. It's pursuing a life of godly discipline. Do you want to, do you wake up every day desiring to please God? 
When you wake up in the morning, do you think, Lord, I want to honor you today? I want to live a life that brings glory and honor to your name. Lord, I want divine appointments. Can you use me today? Can you give me an opportunity to speak on your behalf? Or do you wake up in the morning thinking, how much money can I make? Or what, what chores can I get done today? And again, nothing wrong with those things in a sense. But when they come before your relationship with the Lord, they become false idols. And godliness with contentment, a pursuit of godly things, an obedient and godly life brings contentment, and a godly life is a peaceful life. It's been said, a clear conscience is a soft pillow. And it's amazing how well you can sleep when you're honoring the Lord with your life. Amen? And when you're living in rebellion outside of God's will, the way of the transgressor is hard. And it's a difficult life to live. Don't have to wonder which lie you told this person or how to cover it if you just tell the truth all the time. Amen? You don't have to worry about the, the books at work or your tax return being audited if you did, uh, having done some creative financing. You don't have to worry about it if you are honest and do it as unto the Lord. Can I get an amen? The government wastes our money. We all know it. We still pay our taxes. Can I get an amen on that? We pay our taxes. Give unto Caesar what is Caesar's. When you have an eternal perspective, it's just, I'm giving them a little bit of the pile of dirt that I'm collecting. Because you know what? That's all it is. It's a pile of dirt. And we judge people based on who's got a bigger pile of dirt. They got a bigger pile of dirt to me. They must be more intelligent and more important. I want to let you know that the pile of dirt will not matter. You know, when the, when the richest man in the world goes to the grave and someone says, how much, of his, how much, how much did he leave? The answer is always the same. All of it. Amen. You, you have to see a hearse pull into you U-Haul. Amen. You came in with nothing. You're going out with nothing. And the only thing that's going to matter is what have you done with God's son? Nothing else will matter. I've been with people on their deathbed or near their deathbed. I've said this before. I've never heard anybody say, I wish I had made more money. Again, do your job as unto the Lord, be the best worker in the building. But I've never heard anybody say, I wish I made more money, or I wish I had gone on more vacations, or it's always the same. They're believers. I wish I had done more for the kingdom of God, and I wish I had done more with my family. Amen? Those are our first two ministries. First, the kingdom. You don't have to worry about all those things in your life if you're living a life that's honoring to the Lord. And godliness can, is being content with whatever you have. Guys, I don't care where, you know, we all live, maybe we all have a little bit different, maybe a little bit different lifestyles in here, but you do know that everybody here today is in the top two or 3% of the world's riches. Did you know that? And if you, if you don't know that, go to a throw world country sometime. And I used to go to India every year and you'd have pastors who are pastoring three churches and they're living on a dirt floor with a propane, uh, you know, cook, something to cook on with propane. They sleep on the floor with their wife and their three children in a little tiny place and they've got a bag of beans and a bag of rice and they're praising God. Because guys, you know what? Jesus is more important than the rest of it. Amen? But too often we think, well, you, you know, the rich people are always the people who have more than you. Yeah. Amen? I had a friend in San Jose. He had $8 million. He goes, well, I know people with 400 million. I'm a pauper. I'm like, really, bro? <laughs> I don't have 8 million. He looked rich to me. 
But the reality is we sometimes judge what success is and where contentment will be. And we, we think if I can just get this, then I'll be content. If I can just remodel the house, if I can just get this new car, if I could just get this promotion at work, if, I, if you're single, if I could just find my spouse, or if you want children, if I, and again, those things aren't bad, but the point is that's not where contentment comes from. Contentment doesn't come from more of this world. Contentment comes from having a deeper relationship with the Lord. And when you have the Lord, you can be content with food and shelter. I got something to eat. I got a place to lay down. I'm blessed. Amen? If you got a full refrigerator at home, you're among the richest people in the world. The word contentment there is a mind contented with its lot. It's peace that is completely independent of all outward possessions, circumstances, or influence. If, you, if things have to be perfect for you to be happy, you're not going to be happy very often. And we always look at everybody else's family. We think they're perfect and they're all happy. And they're looking at our family thinking we're all perfect and we're all happy. And the reality is that's not true of any of us. Because we all have trials in life and we all live with sinners. Can I get an amen to that? And we're sinners ourselves. So true contentment comes from the relationship with the Lord where you recognize who you are in Christ. We've been blessed. We've been chosen. We've been adopted. We've been accepted. We've been redeemed. We've been forgiven. We've been enlightened. We've been assured with the promise of eternal life. We have a down payment on heaven in the person of the Holy Spirit who's come to live inside of us. Guys, we're truly rich in Christ. And when we recognize how rich we are in Christ, we're not going to be bummed out because we can't remodel the kitchen. Amen? Because we can't get the newest model of the car. Because, guys, godliness with contentment is great gain. Paul knew this kind of contentment firsthand. His testimony in Philippians 4 says this, Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned that whatever state I'm in, to be content. I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You probably didn't know that was the context, did you? He's talking about, I know what it's like to have nothing, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I know what it's like to have plenty. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Guys, it's not the money in the bank that should bring us peace. It's the relationship with the Prince of Peace that brings us peace. Amen? I shared this last week that Elvis Presley said at the end of his life, he would give all his money, all his fortune, all his fame, everything for 30 minutes of peace. And guys, we have peace every day because we know Jesus. Amen? The heart of one who had had a glimpse of heaven, the Apostle Paul, having seen heaven, you couldn't threaten him with it. Having seen heaven, heaven's better. Can I get an amen to that? Heaven's better. My mom is on hospice. They just took her back off, but she's got Alzheimer's and she's, you know, she sleeps 22 hours a day and we haven't been able to see her since March. My sister just got to go see her, but I haven't seen my, seen my mom since March. And part of my prayer every day is, Lord, I know it's selfish. I want to hug her one more time before she goes. But if she went to heaven today, I'd be rejoicing. I'd miss her. But you know what? Heaven's better. Amen. Amen. To be absent from the body and present with the Lord. We close our eyes on earth. We, we open them up in heaven. Christians don't die. We just move to a much better neighborhood. Amen. And nobody dies too soon. We all die right on time. Amen. Oh, God took him too soon. Oh, yeah, he took him at 35, and he missed out on 50 more years of this place. He's hanging out with Jesus instead. Poor guy. Can I get an amen to that? And so we need to have that, that contentment comes in recognizing that it's about eternity. And the only thing we're taking to heaven with us is people. 
And we get so caught up in chasing after stuff and we're discontented because we always need more stuff because everything you have is going to break. Amen? Second law of thermodynamics, everything goes from order to disorder and there's nothing you can do about it. That brand new car you have today, if the Lord tarries, will end up in a wrecking yard at some point. But you know what lasts? Your relationship with the Lord. You know what lasts? Our relationships with people. Amen? We're going to spend eternity together. We got to start loving each other now. Can I get an amen? I'm glad you're here. True contentment is one does not itch for more, nor is your life focused on acquiring the material, but is satisfied with your spiritual riches in Christ. You're a child of the King. You're going to heaven. We got to just walk around saying hallelujah all the time. Can I get an amen to that? Just the reality of who we are in Christ. There was a young man who goes to church who had been attending church here. And we went out to dinner a couple weeks ago. And, and uh, he told me that many times he had wanted to raise his hand to give his life to the Lord. And he just didn't do it. And I said, what kept you from doing it? And he was just sharing with me. And he does very well. He's wealthy. He's a good looking guy. He's got all these things going on in his life, but something's missing. And I said, well, you know what's missing, don't you? It's Jesus. Amen. And he goes, well, I've been wanting to raise my hand. Well, we can do that right now. Let's do it right now. And he just started weeping. We prayed together at the table. And then I said, who in your family is going to be excited to hear you're saved? He said, my mom. I said, pick up the phone. Let's call her right now. And he called his mom and told her he was saved. And they're weeping on the phone. Guys, that's eternal. And that's what matters. And all the money in the world, all the promotions. Again, be the best worker in the building. Do your job as unto the Lord. Be the best husband and wife you can be. The best parents you can be. But guys, the stuff that impacts eternity is the, the impact we have on people, not on stuff. Amen. And you can have a bigger pile of dirt than me, and I'm okay with it. Whenever we think it, we get something material, we'll answer life's needs, that promotion, the bigger house, the new car, more money in the bank. We still lack contentment. And sadly, some teach that godliness with, godliness with great gain is contentment. You know, if you have the Lord and a bunch of money, I've, I've had this discussion with guys all the time. I just want to be rich. Dude, you already are. Amen. Amen. Well, I just want to find out what it's like to have a bunch of money. I want to encourage you that my prayer for myself is, Lord, don't give me a dollar more than I can, that I can be a good steward of and keep my eyes focused on you. Because sometimes when you have a lot of money, you cease to be desperate for God. Amen. Now, there's nothing wrong. There's plenty of people in the Bible, Abraham, David, Solomon, many people in the Bible that had great riches. But it's important that we don't let the great riches take our eyes off the greater God. Amen. And whatever riches we have, we want to use for God's kingdom and his glory, not our comfort. And we'll see that as we continue on through the text. Material possessions in and of themselves are not corrupt, but true contentment comes from enough of the temp not enough from the temple, but a focus on the eternal. It's not that you finally got your dream house or you finally got your dream job or you finally got, the, you finally got married or, or you graduated from college and all those things are fine. But your contentment should not be found in those because, again, it really comes from a focus on the eternal. Not more of what is perishing, but a greater focus on that which will never perish. Amen? Not more of what's all going to burn. Not more of the stuff that's passing away, but more of the Lord. Real contentment isn't too difficult for those whose real home is heaven. It requires but a little of the world's goods to satisfy a man who feels himself to be a citizen of another country and knows uh, that it is not his rest. Our rest does not come in stuff. Our rest comes in Christ. So 
God, now godliness with contentment, and the word contentment can be inner peace, is great gain. Verse 7, for we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. You started this life with nothing, no possessions. Not only is a newborn baby penniless, they don't have a pocket to put the penny in. Can I get an amen? You come into this world with nothing, and you're going to leave this world with nothing. Again, you've heard, as I said, no hearse pulling a U-Haul. We all leave it all behind. The things that make a man rich in this world mean nothing in the world to come. Again, you got a bigger pile of dirt. I heard an analogy that said, you know, what, something we value on earth is gold. And imagine if the Lord let you take some of your gold with you and you got to heaven one day and you're holding, you know, bags full of gold. He'd say, you do realize here that's asphalt, right? You know, the, the streets of heaven are paved with gold. Amen. And the things that we think are so rich here are going to be nothing compared to heaven. And let me say this one more time. Heaven is better than you think. No matter how amazing you think heaven is, when you get to heaven, you are going to be blown away. Amen? And when we get there, we're like, why was I trying not to come here? Give me a DNR right now, babe. Just put it down. Do not resuscitate. Send that brother to heaven right now. Amen? Heaven's better. You know what's even better? And what's even going to blow you away more than heaven? Almighty God. And no matter how great you think God is, when you get to heaven, you're going to be blown away by the greatness of our God. Amen? And you're going to see Jesus face to face. And you're going to see the people. My, my, my dad's in heaven. I can't wait to hug my dad again. Amen? Heaven's better. And that's where our focus needs to be because that's where home really is. And yet we have people living their whole life. We spend all our time making money. Then we spend all our money trying to get more time. Is that not true? So when you're young, you spend all your time to get money. And then when you're older, you try to give all your money to get a little more time. And the reality is our focus needs to be on heaven because heaven is so much better. And we, we brought nothing into this world. We will take nothing out. The only thing that we will take with us is the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. Who came to live inside of us and made us new creations in Christ. Heaven is so good. I can't wait. I'm ready. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen? You can, you can come before the election as far as I'm concerned. Let's just do this thing. So why do we spend our lives with so much of our focus on accumulating stuff. Got so much stuff. Can I get an amen to that? Every one of us could have 10 garage sales, sell all the things in all 10 garage sales and still have plenty. Is that not true or, I mean, come on. I got boxes in my house haven't been opened in 30 years. We just keep moving the boxes to the next place where we have stuff. And my wife drives my wife nuts because it's all stored in my garage. Most of us have enough wealth for 10 lifetimes. I'm, talking, I'm not talking about wealth to live a fancy lifestyle. I'm just talking about enough to have food and shelter. Amen. But we continue to pursue that. And then when it comes an opportunity to serve God, we don't have time. So what's more important than serving the Lord that's taking its place? And again, work hard, do your jobs in the Lord, spend time with your family, do all that. But you have gifts, use them for the kingdom of God. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and, and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. When he's the priority, he's the passion. Why do we spend so much of our time? The only thing we're taking to heaven with us is people. Verse eight, and having food and clothing with these, we shall be content. 
The word clothing there also speaks of shelter. So a place to sleep, a place to lie down, and food to eat, and Jesus. That's plenty. Amen? It's amazing when Jesus is all you have, you'll recognize that he's all you need. Paul, living in light of eternity, reduces life on earth to his basic requirements to emphasize that this earth is not your home. We're just passing through. Why do we get so attached to it? Why then do we have such an earthly perspective? An earthly perspective feeds a constant hunger for more and more and more of new and better and new and better. And if we listen to Apple, we need a new phone every year. Isn't that true? We got phones that... The iPhone 6 was better than any computer that was on the planet 30 years ago. We walk around with it in our hand. We got to have the new one because our flesh is just never satisfied. Amen. We just always want more. We always need more. You know what? Can you, we need to have that focus of needing more of Jesus, needing more of intimate fellowship with him. Needing more of an opportunity to use the gifts God's given us for his kingdom and for his glory. Again, J. Paul Getty said a little bit more. What do you need to be content? Is it a little bit more? Do you wake up in the morning and check your stocks before you spend time in prayer? Do you wake up in the morning thinking about your, your next class instead of thinking first about the Lord? Is God the priority? Is he the passion of your life? When I would go to India, these GFA pastors who would live in, like I said, literally, one, one of them had an old garage door that was leaning against some wood, like in a tilt, and he had his family living on dirt. And I'm just sitting there and we go into their little house and we, you can't even stand up. We're sitting down and they're singing praise songs and they love the Lord so much. And our children are weeping as they sing praise songs. They're bringing the roof off of that place. And I'm thinking these people are far more content than I am because they just love Jesus and Jesus is enough. They're so thankful that they're saved and they're going to heaven. They were raised Hindu and now they know the true and living God. And, and sometimes what happens is somebody will be a new believer and they'll be on fire for God and they'll be excited about the Lord and telling everybody about the Lord. And then you'll have somebody who's supposed to be more spiritually mature say, well, he'll calm down. I don't think we should ever calm down when it comes to Jesus. I think she would be more fired up the closer we get to the Lord. Amen. Lord, help us to be content with what we have but not content with where we are with you. I don't want to be content and happy with where I am spiritually. I want to grow closer to the Lord every day. My prayer is let me be closer to you tomorrow than I am today and closer to you the day after that. So that's the thing we, we should say, Lord, I want more of you. And I'm not all that worried about the things of this world. Having food and clothing with these, we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare. And it's a many foolish and harmful lust which drown men in destruction and perdition. Desire so much of the world to have more of that which is perishing. Guys, it's not all it's cracked up to be. It's just not. More money doesn't make more joy or more peace or more happiness. The pursuit of riches results in temptation, a snare, and foolish and harmful lust. The desire for riches is far more dangerous than the riches themselves. When you desire riches, here's what happens. I shared this with you guys. I've been with the same company 32 years. You all know I have a full-time job. And a couple years ago, we were having some transitions in my company. We had merged. And I, for the first time in 30 years, I had interviewed for some jobs. And one of the guys on the phone asked me this. 
And he, he knew because some of my former coworkers were working for his company. And he said, well, I hear great things about you. And I hear you're a top sales guy. But I also hear something else that's concerning. But I can't really bring it up. I said, bring it up, bro. I'm not going to sue anybody. Bring it. Go ahead. What is it? Well, I hear you're a really outspoken Christian. I said, well, there's no doubt about that. He said, I just need to know that when you come to work, can you set your Christianity aside? And then he said, there's always a line. because Sometimes we have to cross over it to get the job done. Are you willing to do that? And I said, so what you're telling me is that the product that you sell is so unethical that you don't want anybody to act like Christians in the place where you work and that I need to be willing to lie to people to be successful working for you. If that's the case, I have no desire to work there at all. Then he said, well, no, that's not, that's not what I'm saying. I said, okay. He said, but, but you can keep your faith to yourself. No, I'm never going to keep my faith to myself. Do you, do you stop being a husband when you show up to work? You stop being a man. I don't stop being a Christian. Can I get an amen to that? And I, he said, well, but you don't talk to your coworkers. I said, I talk to every one of my coworkers about the Lord every single day, every day. But you don't talk to your, all my customers call me Pastor Dave. I talk to all of them about Jesus all the time. Well, that, that, could, that could be a problem. I don't think so. Didn't you just tell me that you've heard that, I, that I'm pretty successful? You know why I'm saying? Because I honor the Lord and to God be all the glory. And I will never check my faith at the door. Can I get an amen to that? And we don't separate ourselves from Jesus Christ. Ever. We fall into temptation when we're chasing after money. When money becomes the priority, here's what happens. We will, we will subvert our faith a little bit to make a little bit more money. If money is your God, you, you will sometimes check your faith at the door. If money is your God, you will hide who you are in Christ. You'll adapt. You'll go out party with the guys and drink with the customer. If you think that'll take them to a strip club, if you think it might get the sale. And I've seen Christians do things like that. Well, I needed to do it for work. No, you don't need to do that. You need to honor Jesus. Amen. Amen. Do you think if we honor God, that God will provide? And if we dishonor God, whatever we've earned, will be ill-gotten gains. Amen? And he's letting him know this, this hunger for riches. It's a snare. It's a trap. And I see people that chase after money and their lives are empty. Their, their money becomes more important than their marriage. Their marriage falls apart. Money becomes so important to them that they have no relationship with their children. Money becomes so important to them they have no time to serve the Lord. And when they're laying on their deathbed, they have no relationships left over. They got a pile of dirt sitting in the corner that won't matter once they die. It's a snare. It's a trap. It will drown you in destruction and perdition. Again, we know godly men who had, had plenty. Again, Abraham, David, Solomon, others. But the godly rich have the heart like this psalmist. It says in Psalm 62.10, if your riches increase, do not set your heart on them. If God has blessed you with the amount of wealth, then use it for the king. Take care of your family and then use it for the kingdom of God. Use it to minister to people who are in need. Amen? Amen. And that's what God's called us to do. And sadly, too many of us fall into that trap. Great wealth in the pursuit of it exposes a lot of great temptation can turn our hearts away from the eternal riches to the temporal ones. And we cease to be led by the spirit. And instead, we're being led by the pursuit of wealth. The word snare there is a trap. 
Worldly wealth above godly obedience. Pursuing wealth as a goal in life. I had a coworker that we, we had a long talk one day. He got fired from our company from, for stealing. And as we were talking afterward, he said, well, Dave, you know, my problem is that money is my God. I said, you're right, bro. How's that working out? How's that working out for you? You just got, you just got fired and you could have been handcuffed and taken to jail because you're pursuing wealth. And he already, he's already one of the richest people I know. He already has more money than I'll ever have. I, I will never have as much, and I don't care. But the point I'm making is he had way more than anybody that worked with us. His wife had a great job. They're very wealthy. They live in a big house. They have all the, everything you could possibly want. And he was still stealing from the company. Because God, his money, money is his God. The pursuit of God and mammon. You cannot have two masters, amen? It can't be God and money. It's God or money, Amen? So tragic. Rather than being content with, God, with what God has blessed you with. And then it says there in verse, it says, into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men into destruction and perdition. The end result of unchecked pursuit of wealth is eternal destruction. You know, Jesus said it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of the needle than a rich man to enter heaven. And again, riches of themselves are not evil. It's okay. Money's not evil. It's the love of money that is the root of all evil. Amen? Money is something that we use for the kingdom of God and for his glory. But the love of it is destructive. Pursuing the temporal wealth, comfort, and pleasure and possessions with no thought of your soul and where you're going to spend eternity. You know, Lazarus and the rich man. Luke 16. Lazarus and the rich man. They both die. And the rich man is in eternity separated from Almighty God. And the beggar, Lazarus, is in God's presence. And the rich man says, can he just dip his finger in water and come over here and relieve me just for a moment? God says to him, no, he can't pass from you. There's a gulf from sin. And, and what does the rich man say? Can you at least go back and tell my family? I don't want them coming here. Guys, the time to tell our family is now. Can I get an amen? Not when it's too late. And sadly, it says there in verse 10, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. The love of money can motivate any evil on this earth. There is no sin that it cannot be committed for the sake of money. I don't know if you guys knew this. Do you, I don't know if it's still true, but at one point, like 90% of all the pornography in the world was produced in the San Fernando Valley. And it was all for money. Abusing women for money. Taking in women and destroying their lives. Those are people's daughters. Amen. When we first planted this church, I was interviewed by a lady who works for a local newspaper, and she ran an article, and at the end of it, she said, when we're done, can I talk to you about something? And this woman started weeping uncontrollably, and she said, can we pray for my daughter? My, daughter's, uh, my daughter does pornography, movies. What a heartbreak. I can't even imagine. And how can we take God's, how could anybody take God's money and spend money on something that is doing, it's, it just makes me sick to my stomach thinking about it. Can I get an amen to that? But see, what happens is compromise takes place and we take God's money and we spend it on things that are ungodly because we're more concerned about our pleasure than the kingdom of God and his glory. And, any, and there's always an excuse. There's every sin in the world that can take place when we make money more important than obedience 
to the Lord. It says, for which some have strayed from the faith. Paul knew of such men in Ephesus who had turned away from the pursuit of the Lord because they were chasing after money. I, I sell advertising. A lot of people will tell me, well, I'll say, well, do you want to put a Christian logo in your advertising? And they'll say, I'm not going to put that in there because I know Christian. A lot of times I do business with Christians and they, they rip me off. Guys, if we're not going to honor the Lord, don't tell people you're saved. Amen. The better idea is honor the Lord and then tell everyone you're saved. Amen. I know people, I can't put a Christian sticker on my car because I drive too fast. Here's the answer to that. Put the Christian sticker on your car and slow down. <laughs> Amen? But what happens is the pursuit of riches, the pursuit of pleasure, the pursuit of the things of this world will cause us to compromise our faith. It says they will be pierced through with many sorrows. This is the fate of those who live for the love of money. They are never, ever, ever, ever satisfied. At the end of life, they realize the emptiness of such worldly pursuits. A life of sorrow, a life of regret, the spiritual undoing of many. When you're pursuing the temple, you've heard me say it before, you're fighting over deck chairs in the Titanic. Amen? I want the sweetest deck. I need a double-decker deck chair. I want mine plated in gold. I want, dude, I want to get on the raft. I want salvation. Can I get an amen? I want to get off the boat. I don't want to focus on how comfortable I am on a sinking ship. Because by the way, this ship's going down. Can I get an amen? And eternity is what matters. And my heart is, I want to see people saved. And I just want to see people get to shore. And I don't care which life raft they get in. It doesn't have to be this church, another church where the word of God is taught. We just want to see people saved and join us in heaven. Amen? But see, their pursuit of wealth will be so focused on what we have in the temporal that will have no impact on the eternal. And we'll be hanging on to this world with a really tight grip, and it's tragic. So point number one there, where we find contentment, a glimpse of heaven, living every day in light of eternity, where we find contentment. Number two there, point number four on the list, the battles that we fight, the battles that we fight. Look at verse 11. But you, O man of God, flee those things and pursue righteousness, godliness, Faith, love, patience, gentleness, and money. Oh, it doesn't say that, does it? <laughs> it says, flee those things. Flee the temporary things. Flee the stuff. You know, I used to say this a lot. I'm going to start saying it more often. It's all going to burn. It's all going to burn. Ding in your new car door. It's all going to burn. Get over it. Can I get an amen? Amen. And we're so focused sometimes on the stuff that's temporary. We get so, you know, and the carpets have to be cleaned and this has to be done and that has to be done and this has to be done. And I'm just not going to be happy until everything's perfect. Well, you're never going to be happy. Take good care of God's stuff, but don't worship it. Amen. And so it's a, it's a spiritual and eternal. That's the battle that we fight. Notice it says, but you, O man of God, in contrast to the man who lived for riches and wealth, Contrast to the men of greed and women of greed were men of God and women of God. Can I get an amen to that? Amen. Who's, who's blessed to say, I am a man of God, or I'm a woman of God? Raise your hand. I'm a woman of God, I'm a man of God. Can I get an amen to that? So you're a man of God, you're a woman of God, now let's live like it. Amen? Let's be unashamed of the God that we serve. Let's not be undercover Christians keeping it to ourselves. If your coworkers don't know you're saved, you need to repent and let them know tomorrow. Amen? 
If your neighbors don't know you're saved, are we hiding our faith? If we put you on trial for being a Christian, we followed you around for a week and videotaped everything you said and did, will we have enough evidence to convict you? Amen? Or do we just live like the world? Help us, Lord. Those who who are men of the world, the false teachers, those that taught false doctrine in order to earn money, that's part of this context here. But I can think of nothing more glorious. Can you imagine when you died, if it just said on your, well, you're going to be in heaven, you won't care what it says on the tombstone. But if it just said, woman of God, can there be a better epitaph than that? Man of God, woman of God, not inventor of the moist towelette and a millionaire. Who cares? <laughs> right? Our kids, one of their little league coaches invented the, the uh, sleeve that goes on cups. And like at Starbucks and stuff. And he, had a, he put a patent on it and all those people had to pay him. He had this little coffee shop in our town and he invented that sleeve. And all of a sudden, he was a multi, multi, multi-millionaire overnight. And the sad part is you fast forward 10 years, he's divorced, his kids are all estranged from him, his life's a disaster, he's addicted to drugs, it's a mess. But better for him if he never got a dime of that. See, sometimes all the riches, then we become complacent and we, we, don't, we don't get up and go work hard anymore. And, we, and we, we find ourselves thinking we're better than somebody else because we have more money than them. Money is not the scorecard in heaven. It might be in this world, but it certainly is not in heaven. Amen. And he said, oh, man of God, flee those things. Don't run towards the riches of this world. Run from it. And spiritual maturity is seen by what you run toward and what you run from. I always think of Joseph. What happened to him? Who grabbed a hole? Who did he have to leave his coat behind? What happened? Potiphar's wife. And you know she was good looking because he ran. If she was ugly, he just snatched the coat out of her hand and stood there. It's not a temptation. <laughs> but Satan tempts you with something that's rough. And so he literally left his coat and ran. And then he got falsely accused and thrown in prison. But do you think he's in heaven regretting that he ran? It's not just what we run to, it's what we run from. Flee youthful lust, the Bible says. Run away from those things that are going to... You know what? If all your friends are at a party and they're getting lit, leave. Amen? My coworkers, some of them used to go to Hooters and the Tilted Kilt for lunch. No one ever invited Pastor Dave because I'm not going. <laughs> Amen. They come back. Where'd you guys go? Well, you wouldn't have gone. Oh, you went to Hooters again. Okay, you're right. I'm not going. <laughs> but it's what we flee and what we pursue determines where we are spiritually. We need to run toward the things of God. We need to seek first the kingdom of God. We need to look for divine appointments and opportunities to, sell our, to share our faith with other people. And we must never be ashamed of the gospel. Amen. And we need to run toward that with all of our might. Run toward using the spiritual gifts God has given us. Notice what he says to run toward. Pursue righteousness. That means right living before God. Pursue righteousness, pursue godliness, living a life that, refer, that represents the Lord. Pursue faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by word of God. You want to have more faith? Read your Bible more. You're as close to God as you want to be. Amen? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Pursue love. The word there is agape. It's a selfish love that loves people outside of itself more than itself. We need to be people that love people so much that we give for God. So agape the world that he gave and see true love gives eros, 
which is where we get the word erotic, which is lust, it's not love, takes. Agape gives, eros takes. What kind of relationships do you have with people? Men of the world are spiritually dead. Men of God are alive in Christ. Men of the world are driven by the flesh. Men of God are led by the spirit. This is women of God as well, of course. Women of God have a temporary, of the world have a temporary focus. Women of God have an eternal focus. Women of God live for themselves. Women of, uh, women of the world live for themselves. Women of God live for the Lord. So does this describe your life? Alive in Christ, led by the Spirit, with an eternal focus, living for the Lord? Or spiritually dead, driven by the flesh, temporarily focused, living only for you? Guys, we're called to be servants, amen? We're not of this world. We, we, we are, we're not citizens here. Guys, we should feel uncomfortable here because this is not our home. Amen? Well, I don't really like the world. Well, we, I get it because this isn't home. Aren't you glad we're just visiting Thank you, Jesus. We're going home. As born-again new creations in Christ, we're radically different than those who rejected his grace and ought to be evident to the world around us as the way we reflect the sun. The Holy Spirit should be pouring out of us if your neighbors, again, or co-workers were to describe you. If we went to your next-door neighbor right now and said, describe your neighbor, give me three words. I hope Jesus is one of them. I hope loving and kind are maybe the other ones. Amen? Loving, kind, gracious, we're different. Not self-righteous in a way that, we, because that we've achieved something, but having been transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. Note the instructions again. He says to flee youthful lust, to pursue, uh, you know, flee the youthful lust, or do you flee godly accountability? See, some people don't go to church because they're messing up. And they go, well, when I get my act together, I'll go back to church. Well, that's, that's like saying, oh, as soon as I get cleaned up, then I'll take a shower. You need to be in church. <laughs> Can I get an amen to that? And we do, so do you flee youthful lusts or do you flee, you know, godly accountability? I had friends growing up, and I'm not saying, you know, I'm, I'm a sinner saved by grace. But I had friends that they would, when they stopped calling me, I knew something was up. Friends I grew up with, all of a sudden, haven't heard from him in a while. Hmm. And I'd call him up. Okay, what are you up to, bro? What unsaved girl are you dating you don't want me to know about? What's up? <laughs> right? Don't we want godly accountability? Don't we need it? That's why fellowship's so important. Are you pursuing worldly riches or intimate fellowship with Christ? Which is it? And again, that word flee is to seek safety by flight. Don't camp out near, meditate on, but get as far away as possible. Can a man hold a fire to his bosom and not be burned? Can you hang out with the world and not become like the world? The answer is no. So you don't, well, I'll go to the party, but I won't drink. Well, I'll go with them to lunch, but I won't, I'll turn away when the waitresses come out. No, you just don't have anything to do with it. Can I get an amen? I want nothing to do with that. You run from it. Don't try to be comfortable in it. Not all unity is good. We need to be separated from the world, from the cults, from the false religions. You cannot serve God and mammon, God and money. You can only have one master and pursue to follow after with the same passion those things that we're fleeing from. As Christians, we are to be separated from the world and unto God. Our testimony as Christians should be as much or more about who we, what we pursue than what we separate ourselves from. It's been said of the church, the only thing they know about us is what we're against. They need to know what we're for. Amen? We're for Jesus. We're for eternity. We're for seeing other people saved. We're for God being glorified. Amen? 
We're for loving, being loving and kind and gracious and merciful toward hurting and those who are dying without the Lord. Amen? And too often the focus is on what we're against. Again, righteousness there is personal integrity. You know, it's, it's, it's integrity and character is, is defined by who you are when no one's watching. What kind of person are you when no one's watching? Godliness means practical holiness, faith, a godly dependability. We depend on the Lord. Again, the word love is agape, a selfless love. Notice the word patience is there. Don't these sound, doesn't this sound like Galatians 5.22? And the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, patience. Sticking to it when it gets tough. Uh, look, a lot of our folks are moving out of California. If God leads you to do that, God bless you. And I pray you find a good church and you're blessed there. But I pray that we're moved by the Holy Spirit. We don't leave because California's rough. Because you know what California needs? Jesus. Can I get an amen to that? People want to go on a mission field halfway around the world. We need missionaries to come from there to California. (laughs) Can I get an amen to that? He also says gentleness. I love gentleness. It's not weakness, but power or strength under control. It's while each of these fruits of the Spirit all originate from the Holy Spirit, the man of God is to take an active role in pursuing such godly attributes. Notice it says in verse 12, fight the good fight, fight for faith, lay hold of eternal life, fight the good fight. So as Christians, I'm tired of the the mentality that we're supposed to sit back and say nothing. Keep your faith to yourself. Check your faith at the door. You know who does that? Someone who's not walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Amen? The two things you should never talk about, religion and politics. We don't have to talk about politics, but we're going to talk about Jesus. Amen? And so there's a, we fight the good fight. The word fight there is to agonize, to endeavor with strenuous zeal, to obtain a prize, The context is keep on fighting. We need to make a stand for the Lord. Again, I know people will disagree, but there's a reason why myself and thousands of other pastors felt adamant. We are going to have church if they arrest us. Because if if the pastors and the Christians won't stand for religious freedom, who in the world's going to? And when you stop standing up for it, at some point you become China. Amen? Or you become Russia back in the day. Or you become places where it's against the law to have church. You know what? It's not even the Constitution that gives us the right to have church. It's Almighty God who commands us to have church. Forsake not to gather yourselves together and all the more as the day approaches. And we don't want to be jerks. And we don't want to be self-righteous. And we never want to be arrogant. But we must never faint in the day of adversity. If you do, your strength is small. Amen? It's a battle we fight, you guys. It's a fight of faith. There are things worth fighting for, even dying for. Our faith should be at the top of the list. My wife and I saw a movie. I'm not, I'm not I'm semi-ashamed of it. I hadn't seen an R-rated movie in 15 years. I went and saw one this last week, only because of the, it's about a guy who's a Christian who goes and debates somebody in Egypt, and he stands for the Lord in front of an all-Muslim crowd, and they capture him and end up beating this guy for months and months, trying to get him to change his, to, to deny Jesus Christ. And he just won't do it. 
And then they take him to Iran. It just keeps getting worse. They take him out and they're going to shoot him and say, deny Jesus now. We're going to kill you. And the guy says to him, we're going to win because we're not afraid to die. And he goes, no, I'm going to win because I'm not afraid to die. Can I get an amen to that? Don't go see the movie. It's got so many foul language in it. It's ridiculous. I know I don't see it. I went, but you know what happened though? When I walked out of there, I thought, look what that guy endured for his faith in Christ. And we won't even tell our next door neighbor. Look at that guy endured. And there's pastors that won't open up their church. Look what that guy endured. And we keep, we have, we undercover Christians who keep our faith to ourselves. We, we won't put a Christian sticker on our car because we're afraid. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. Amen. And we need to fight the good fight. Again, don't be arrogant. Don't be a jerk. Don't be pointing fingers and be self-righteous. But let's take a, take a stand and do it in a loving and a kind way. Didn't our Savior do that? We need to make a stand. It says there, lay a hold of eternal life. The word there in Greek means to seize, to take possession of, to attain. A picture of one who wears the, the victor's crown or a garland after they've won a race. As we fight the good fight, we should be encouraged and our perspective transformed by the promise of eternity. They can't threaten us with heaven. Amen? So point number one there is the promise of eternal life. What gives us courage for the battle? The promise of eternal life. Notice what it says there, to which you are also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. We've been called by God. God has a calling on your life. Do you know that God knows your name and he called you by name and you responded and he made you a new creation in Christ and he filled you with his Holy Spirit and he wrote your name in the Lamb's book of life and he'll never leave you nor forsake you and praise God where he wrote your name down, there's no eraser available, amen? And he's never going to leave. And what a gracious God we serve. And how can we keep it to ourselves? How can we water down the truth because we're afraid of offending people? The cross of Christ is the stone of offense. Let the word of God offend them, not you being a jerk or me being a jerk. Amen? I had a coworker that used to say, is up in San Jose, and he'd say, I'm getting persecuted. I said, no, you're just a jerk. <laughs> he'd walk by people's desk, you're going to fry in hell. I go, dude, that's real effective. You need to love these people, but then preach the truth. Can I get an amen? amen? And do it in love. But that's the fight we need to fight. Having confessed the good confession, Timothy's calling had been publicly recognized by the laying on of hands. And I love, it's been, you know, when you get baptized, you're confessing to the world, I was, I'm dead, I'm dead to the person I used to be, and I'm a new creation in Christ. I'm identifying with the death, burial, and resurrection of our Savior. You're making a, pro a public proclamation. And now, guys, it's not enough just to be baptized. Now we need to go live it. Amen? And not keep it to ourselves. Not only are we called to God, but we're called to stand with others in the battle. It says, I urge you in the sight of God who gives life to all things before Jesus Christ to witness the good confession before Pontius Pilate. I urge you in the sight of God. I urge you. Paul called Timothy with God as his witness to stay faithful to the things of God in the time when it could cost him his life. Timothy, God's watching. Obey him. The next time, remember, when you're sharing your faith or when the Holy Spirit's prompting you to say something or to do something, just remember that the only person watching that matters is the Lord. We cannot be afraid of what men will think. Be kind, be loving, be gracious, but do everything unto the Lord. Timothy, God is watching. Paul's encouragement to Timothy is first the promise of eternal life, then God's supernatural calling, and then he's not standing alone, and then God is watching him. Live every day in a way that will bring glory and honor to the name of your Savior. 
facing potential death, reminded that God holds all, all life in his hands. He's the creator. Rejecting the creator, people no longer fear God. But because we know the creator, we should walk in the fear of God. It says that you keep his commandments without spot, blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ's appearing. Not only is God's watching, but we follow the example of our Savior. We look at the, the, way, the life that he lived. We have the ultimate example of faithfulness, not in other Christians, but in our Savior. Jesus stood before Pilate. Jesus proclaimed the truth with boldness, knowing that it would lead to the cross. The ultimate example in the eternal perspective is, is that he died in our place, that you and I might have eternal life. Praise the Lord for that. Amen. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I said this to that young man the other day. I said, you know what blows me away? God knows me best and he loves me most. Amen. He knows every wicked, vile thing I've ever done, thoughts I've had that no one, I would be ashamed if anybody else knew them. Can anybody else get an amen to that besides me? Amen. Things that you wouldn't want. To, and God knows and he loves you best. He knows you most and he loves you best. And he's a gracious and a loving God. Verse 14, you keep this commandment. Without spot, blameless, until the Lord Christ's appearing. To fight the good fight of faith, to boldly proclaim the gospel, to, in his case, to pastor and lead the church in the face of great opposition. Do it without spot, be blameless, with all purity and faithfulness. If you want to be used mildly by the Lord, live a holy life. We want to live holy and set up our lives. We all sin every day. Christians aren't sinless, but we should sin less. Amen. Because we are filled with the Holy Spirit and we walk with the Lord. And notice we live it every day until the Lord comes back. I can't wait. I can't wait. People mock the second coming of the rapture of the church because they're not, go they're not going. We're excited about it. Amen. And sometimes you go, well, I really would like to get that new boat before I get raptured. Stop it. <laughs> Heaven's better. Can I get an Amen. We should live, serve, and fight in anticipation of a soon return. We should have urgency knowing that the time is short. When this time has come and passed, only what we've done for Christ will last. There's a day coming when it says there in verse 14, blameless until the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to stand before God one day, having been accounted faithful, being rewarded by him. What can compare to that? People ask me, what's, what's your retirement plan? Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Best 401k on the planet. Can I get an amen? I want to live to hear those seven words. Look what it says there in verse 15. Which he has manifest in his own time, who he has blessed, and he is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Can I get an amen to that? No man knows the day or the hour because we live every day in anticipation of his imminent return. Unless we forget who called us and saved us and equipped us and watches over us, we get a glimpse of heaven because he's the king of kings and he's the Lord of lords and he's almighty God. He created all things. He said light is and light was. He put the, the earth exactly the right distance so we don't freeze or burn up. Amen. He, he spoke everything into existence. He's, a, he's the great I am. Can he take care of your finances? Can he deal with your illness? He's almighty God. He's not kind of mighty. He's almighty. All-knowing, all-powerful. That's the God that we serve. Guys, we ought, to be, we ought to be skipping down to our car singing hallelujah. Can I get an amen? Because of who we are in Christ. Lord, give us a glimpse this morning. The word potentate there means, it's where we get the word uh, dunamis. 
Where do we hear that? Acts chapter one, go and you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Dunamis is where you get the word dynamic and dynamite. You know, do you know the word enthusiasm is in theos? It means filled with God. Can I get an amen to that? When you're filled with God, you can't help but be enthusiastic about it. Amen? And no other entheos is real unless the Lord is at the center of it. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Don't, com- don't let people compare him to Buddha. Amen? Amen? Amen. Buddha's got to have oranges put in his lap and he still doesn't eat them. Can I get an amen? <laughs> I don't get it. And people will say, well, there's many paths to God. No, dude, there's one God. There's one Savior. There's one Creator. There's one Alpha and Omega. And everything else is a false God created by the world to steal away the glory of the true and living God, which they can never do. And we must never, ever put them on the same plane as Almighty God. Ever. And don't talk about karma. That's that's Hindu. Stop it. Got bad karma. No, you reap what you sow. They stole that from the Bible. Amen? Don't fall into that trap. Verse 16. We're not even going to finish the chapter probably. You're just like part three, really, Dave? Killing me. <laughs> Who alone is immor- immortality dwelling in unapproachable light whom no man has seen or can see to whom be honor and everlasting power. Amen. Amen. He's immor- immortality, not subject to death. Jesus is without beginning or end. He always has been. He always will be, regardless of what the Mormons or the Jehovah's Witnesses try to tell you. That Jesus was a created being. No, he's the creator. He's not created. Amen? Immortal, giver of life. He is life. He's the one that breathed in to, into Adam and gave him life. He's triumphed over sin and death. He's perfect, holy, immortal, glorious, creator, savior, all-knowing, all-powerful God, dwelling in unapproachable light. The light speaks of the glory and holiness of God. You know, in the Bible, you'll see people like Moses got to see the backside of the Lord. Remember that up on Mount Sinai? He stuck him in a cleft of the rock. He covered him up with his hand and he let him see his backside. And when Moses came down from the mountain, what was he doing? He was glowing. He caught the backside of the Lord and he was glowing. Guys, we have not seen the Lord in his fullness and we won't until we get to heaven because if we saw him in his fullness now in this mortality, we would drop dead, which would just put us in heaven. So bring it. Can I get an amen? (laughs) Whom no man can see. These people, I went to heaven and hung out with God for a week and then I came back. No, you didn't. Amen. Paul got a glimpse of heaven and he said, the words are unspeakable. I can't even describe it. And these guys come back and try to describe it. Sorry. By the way, if I go to hell, I'm not coming back. Can I get an amen? <laughs> no, thanks. Been there. Notice it says there, to whom be the honor and everlasting power. Paul praises the unparalleled attributes of our glorious Savior. In so doing, he encourages Timothy to continue to fight the good fight. You know what helps us to fight the good fight? Remembering who our God is and what he has done for us and what he is yet to do and all his promises and that he's on the throne and he's in control and he's never going to leave you. He's never going to forsake you. He doesn't forget about you. If he had a wallet, your picture be in it. Can I get an Amen. Because he loves you. You're his treasured possession. He knows the number of hairs on your head. To him be all the glory and the praise and the honor. Do I dare go on? Let's go verse 17. You can go and watch the Dodgers lose anyway. Don't worry about it. (laughs) 
how do we handle our finances? Look what it says. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things. Let them do good that they be rich in good works, ready to give a willing share. We must never look at people and grade them based on how much money they have or how well they dress or what kind of car they drive. And here's the reality. We've all done it. Is that not true? To some degree, based on the way someone dresses and the car that they drive, we may esteem them higher than somebody else who's homeless on the corner. Is that not true? And the word of God tells us we're not to, did Jesus die for both of them? Does he love them both? They're equally important to God. Don't, don't, don't get caught up. Don't be haughty because you have money. By the way, if you have it, then we need to praise God for it because God gave us the ability to earn it. Can I get an amen to that? To him be all the glory. He says, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold of eternal life. He says, look, keep your focus on the Lord. Do good works. Be ready. Be willing to share. If you have an abundance, be willing to share it with those who are hurting. How many boats can we ski behind? We're not taking it with us anyway. Let's give it to people that didn't have need. Can I get an amen to that? Now, remember, when he talked about giving to the widows, he didn't say just give to the lazy. Amen. Don't prop up the wrong behavior, but bless those who love the Lord and are serving him. Amen. Finally, last two verses. O Timothy, guard what was committed to your trust, avoiding the profane and idle babblings and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. By professing it, some have stayed straight concerning the faith. Grace be with you. He's saying, look, there's those. He ends the letter. There are those teaching a false gospel. There are those teaching something that isn't true. But you need to remember the Lord, be faithful to his word, and make sure that you, that you are unashamed of the gospel. Don't allow the false teachers to get away with it, is what he's saying. Don't allow them to preach something that's contrary to the word of God. And again, when he's talking about riches, they're uncertain. They're all passing away. When this time has come and passed, only what we've done for Christ will last. And whatever things that God has given us, we need to learn to be satisfied with that. We can't take anything with us. But it's been said that we can send things ahead. We can send people ahead. Amen? Give to those things that God is using for his glory. Give to the Christian school that's struggling. Give to the missionaries who've laid down their lives to go halfway around the world to share the gospel with people. And, all they, and, and give to them so they can have food and clothing. Amen? Give to, to, to the church that ministers to you. Give to those in need. How we use our finances is a reflection of what's in our heart. Amen. And then when he tells Timothy at the end, you know, profane and idle babblings and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. Do we have people making some vain and profane and vile babblings right about now? Have you watched any political anything anywhere? So much of it is so much nonsense. And the pride and the arrogance is just nauseating sometimes. Can I get an amen to that? That's why I'm glad that God's really on the throne. And no one will ever take him away from there. It says by professing that some have, have strayed from the faith, there's a strange, there was a doctrine floating around in his day where they mixed Christianity with Oriental mysticism and Greek philosophy and Jewish legalism. Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. Not Jesus plus your church, not Jesus plus keeping this rule, not Jesus plus these legalistic rites, not Jesus plus this myth or this mythology. Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. On the cross, his last word was tetalistai, which means it is, 
It's finished. Paid in full. Thank you, Jesus. Amen? So, a glimpse of heaven should be seen in the way we work, the way we handle God's word, where we find our contentment, not in the things of the world, but in intimacy with the Lord. The battles that we fight, the things we run toward and the things we run to will be an example of where we are spiritually. How we handle our finances. Do we use God's money for God's glory or do we use it all for our comfort? And then finally, how we use the gifts God has given us. Take the gifts God's given you as he called Timothy. You be faithful with that gift to be a pastor. You be faithful to do what God's called you to do. And God's calling us to do the same. Amen? Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you. I thank you for everyone's patience this morning. We thank you for the word of God that it's living and breathing. We ask now, Lord, that as we go to this worship song, Lord, that we would reflect on what your word has taught us, what your word has exhorted us to do. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Lord, we should be content in you. We should be unashamed of you. We should be running from the world and toward you. We should be faithfully using our resources that you've given us for your kingdom and, and your glory, not our comfort. And we should be faithful to use the gifts you've given us that you might be glorified. Lord, we can't do any of this apart from the empowering work of your Holy Spirit. Lord, there needs to be less of us and more of you. We ask these things in your holy and your precious name, we pray. And all God's people said, yes, he